Father, we just thank you so much for this day and just for this full room, God, of people just lifting their voices in praise and worship to you. We just thank you for uh, that we find in your word and that we get to sing to you, Lord, that um, just no matter what season we're in, what life looks like, God, that you remain the same, God, that um, we can just put our feet on a firm foundation, God, and just know that you are working things for our good even when we can't see it, Lord. And just pray over our services today. Um, just pray for Pastor Joseph, God, and that um, just your words would flow through him. In your name, amen. So once again, in true fashion, uh, you know, whenever you have people who are uh, visiting you, it's always good whenever things, uh, you know, you, you don't have batteries and you're running a little bit behind and your guitar string breaks. And uh, we're going to talk about money. So I'm just, I'm hitting all of the good things that, that make people feel welcoming right now. So we're not talking about, we're not talking about like, like tithing money though. Um, what I actually want to talk about is I want to talk about the fact that we're going into this season. Um, don't know if you, any of you have noticed it, but uh, that's called Thanksgiving. Now, despite the fact that we do actually have a Christmas tree that's in the back corner because I love Christmas and I'm wearing my Christmas chicken that I really like, um, you know, Thanksgiving, it makes sense that it would come right before Christmas because you're going to go into this season where you're going to be talking about um, you know, a, a great sense of charity and giving and generosity and things like this. And there's actually a very natural synergy that exists between feelings of thankfulness and our sense of generosity. The two are inextricably linked. And that's something that we'll get into and explain why from like a biblical perspective, you actually see that these two things are connected. Um, but first, I want to talk about the idea of, you know, just general American generosity. So just general trends, right? So in my day job, you know, I'm, I'm very much, you know, an engineer and into the numbers and all that kind of stuff. So I love looking up surveys and things like this. And one of the things I was looking up, there's a group that's called Vanguard Charitable that um, basically looks after what giving trends are in the, in the country and kind of, you know, they have a lot of ways of kind of matching up donors with different nonprofits and things like this. And so they commission different polls to look at what the giving behaviors are of uh, Americans and people in our country. Uh, so they teamed up with Harris Poll and they looked and what was interesting is at first you kind of look at it and say, well, you know what, maybe Americans aren't doing that bad because about three quarters of Americans reported that they give charitably. And that sounds not bad. I mean, you know, it'd be nicer if it's higher, but if you said, you know, hey, 75%, that's pretty good. So that all makes sense. Um, but then you start kind of breaking it down and maybe it looks um, probably more what you would expect if you're kind of cynical about things. You start breaking it down and you start seeing uh, that only about 16% give what is uh, categorized as quote unquote considerable charity. Now what's considerable charity? Um, I think in our heads, a lot of times we think of that and we think of Carnegie Mellon, uh, you know, giving tons of money to these different charities and nonprofits and everything. By the way, fun tangent, whenever you hear these people like these big uh, moguls in the past that, you know, have their names on all kinds of charities, uh, a lot of them were just, just did trash things. And they put these charities to try to revamp their name. Anyway, it's a fun thing for you to Google when you leave here. Um, so that being said, we think of this considerable giving as this like giving millions of dollars or something like that, but that's not actually what it is. A considerable charity, uh, charitable giving is actually considered over the course of a year giving $1,000. Now, if you imagine just like putting pennies inside the charity bucket, you know, uh, the, the Salvation Army bucket or something like that, 
that's a lot of money. But when you actually split it up over the entire year and say, what is $1,000? Like overall, if you say all charity, $1,000, then what does it actually look like? Well, basically it turns out to being $83.33.3333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333
Um, the thing is, is that they need what I would consider a credible demand signal. They need something from an organization where they want to check it and they want to make certain it checks off all their boxes and it's a worthy cause and all that. And a lot of that stuff falls in the category of being a good steward of your money and all that. And that's all well and good. Um, but the point is, is that they wait on a, a need to actively come up to them. It doesn't actually pop up into their head that, you know, I want, like I actively want to do this, almost like a hobby or an interest or something that you actively seek out in your life. It's not one of those. It's if the need presents itself to me, then I will actually give. And that's one of the reasons why giving isn't necessarily any higher than it is in our Western society. So, how do we reconcile this with our lives as Christians? Well, here's the thing. When we look at who we are uh, being called to be as Christians, we're not being called to be individuals who just kind of passively wait for opportunities to serve other individuals. We want to be individuals that have this type of sensitivity, that have this type of yearning in our heart to say, I want to be able to find opportunities to share with other people a small amount of the happiness and the joy that I have. And yes, sometimes that comes through something as superficial as a gift card to go out to eat during a hard time in their life. Sometimes that comes through a physical thing. Sometimes that comes through an emotional thing or an opportunity for service. But we want to be individuals that w desire to actively seek out you know, any amount of hurting or pain that may be in the people that we see or that we come in contact with so that we can say, I want to address whatever this is. Maybe I can't solve whatever it is, but maybe I can be an ear to listen. Maybe I can be a shoulder to empathize with them. Maybe I can physically do something or give something to make someone's situation better. We want to have that type of sensitivity, not just passively waiting on people to come up to us, but being individuals that actually go, that go out and try to be some kind of reflection of the, the, the relief, the, the lightening of the load that we see Jesus Christ talk about in his own life. This is something that we see Paul talk about specifically when he talks to the church in Corinth. Now, the reason why, I always like giving, you know, kind of the historical backing and the context of things, especially when you talk about the epistles in the New Testament, because the context is so often absolutely everything. If you really want the Bible to say anything that you want it to say, go into the epistles, you can find something that says it, if you just take it out of context. Because there's a lot of things in there that say that, women, you should be absolutely silent, and if you have a question, just route it through your husband, and then they will ask it if it needs to be asked and all that. And I haven't yet seen the husband in any kind of church, you know, fundamentalist or not, that goes, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to enforce that one, because, again, it doesn't end well. So the context is critically important, specifically in Corinth. Because Corinth, ironically, looked very similar to the United States in so many ways. And let me explain that. They lived in an area that was economically very prosperous because of where they are. If you kind of look at this weird shape that is Greece, you kind of have upper Greece and lower Greece. And Corinth is kind of right at the crossroads of it. And it's also a choke point where you can kind of you know, uses a land bridge to get from one body of water to the other body of water. So point is, very wealthy, very prosperous. So economically, they had a lot. Together, they had much. Now, individually, you had a lot of wealth uh, uh, disparity, right? So you had people who were very, very wealthy and people who were very poor. So it wasn't uh, homogeneous. It was very, 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 like, heterogeneous, very 
uh, different in terms of where people were coming from. People, because it was that crossroads, people had different backgrounds. They had different kind of belief systems and all that. Like, not beliefs as in religious, even though, yes, that. But they had different beliefs just in terms of different life outlooks. It starts looking a lot like the U.S., right? So, as it, also, because of where they were in the general affluence in society, it meant that they were educated. So these were individuals that weren't just kind of dirt farmers that would believe any kind of magician who walked up to them. They were individuals who, you know, a lot of them went to some form of schooling. They actually had some amount of, you know, academic knowledge in their head. And so what they tended to do is to view Christianity through that lens. Sure, initially when everything caught on, it was the same way that many of our own relationships with God were. It was the kind of thing that, you know, they were, they were all about it. They were into it. They were wanting to give. They were wanting to be charitable and to, to help all these other people in their community and all around them. But then after a while, the culture seeps in. After a while, the church becomes very Corinthized in the same way that uh, at one point in time, Christianity became very, you know, kind of Romanized. And here it's become very Americanized. You know, that's the natural thing that ends up happening as soon as these very high standards that we see in the Bible come into direct conflict with an imperfect world. So as a result of that, you see Corinth has kind of slacked off a little bit. Paul's writing to Corinth, and he's speaking to them with this in mind. There's actually direct back and forth that we have correspondences of Paul writing, you know, first, uh, the first Corinthians, you're writing this letter to him. And what you may not know that's in there, because why would you put it in there, is the fact that Corinth wrote a letter back to Paul, basically arguing with them. So he wrote second Corinthians over. So see, there's actually all this context that makes this critically important. So with that in mind, let's now go look at second Corinthians chapter eight. So when we look in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, we see Paul, and he starts talking about the subject of giving, but he doesn't sit here and point a finger directly at him. It's like, this is exactly what you should do. What he does is he points out a neighbor they have, a neighbor that, you know, is kind of geographically like somewhat adjacent to them, a place that, you know, has had a, a history that's been up or down, you know, that's not as economically prosperous, where the people don't have as much. Uh, think of this as being... I don't know, like Mexico or something. You know, if you want to say the modern day analog, if Corinth is the United States, then Macedon or Macedonia is kind of like Mexico. It's more of this backwater that, that, that's not as developed. And so you end up seeing this, and Paul's saying this about the church in Macedon. In verse one, uh, again, chapter eight, Second Corinthians. And now brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their ever flowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. So we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in completeness, earnestness and in the love we have kindled in you see that you also excel in this grace of giving now there are several things in there worth highlighting that are very important the first of which is kind of what i tra what i transitioned into this section about at the end of verse three you end up seeing 
the, actually the beginning of the first sentence of verse 4 that says entirely on their own. There's this sense that the church of Macedon was not passively waiting for individuals to come knock on their door and to say, hey, we're here to collect for the blah, blah, blah fund. Would you be willing to give something? And then they searched their pocket and they said, well, I have a few dollars to spare. Here you go. These were people who entirely on their own, not being urged on necessarily or prodded by the apostles or anybody else, they were sitting here saying, I have a desire to meet the needs of people around me, and so I'm going to go do it. And not just that, but you also see earlier on in that verse that these were individuals who it says were in the midst of a very severe trial. Context is everything. So once again, these are individuals who basically live in this area that is Uh, geographically a little bit cut off. It's up in the mountains. It's one of the reasons why when you have individuals in history, famous individuals like Alexander the Great and everything, everybody was so taken off guard because they were coming from Macedon. These are a bunch of hillbillies up there. They're not going to rule the world. Who, Who are they to come and tell us what to do? But yet... They, that those individuals were able to do it. And it was shocking because Macedon was not a great area. It didn't have a lot to offer. It didn't have a lot of arable land. It, it, basically, the only thing it had was timber. And that was the only thing they had. So if the timber trade shut down, then that's what you had. So there's a lot of people who have different theories on exactly what the trials were. But regardless of what they were, what you can see is these are individuals that were not in the midst of their excess. They hadn't just gotten a raise at work. They hadn't, you know, experienced some economic boon or anything like that. These were individuals who were experiencing their own trials. They're experiencing their own troubles. They're experiencing their own difficulties in life. And yet, despite that, what they could have done is they could have sat here and said, well, you know, I would, I would help out other people, but we just, we, you know, it's just so hard. I just have to, I have to look out for what I need, you know? Like, they didn't do that. They also didn't sit there and say, well, you know, I'm, I'm going to help out, but I can't help out right now because, you know, we're going through this situation. They didn't do that. They also didn't say, well, you know, I would help out, but I just, I just, I just don't know what needs are. You know, I just kind of live my life and to do my thing up here in the hills. And if somebody comes up to me, then I'll help them out. But that's it. No, what they did is they actively went out and pursued where the need and where the hurt was surrounding them, and that's what they had a passion for. So what you see Paul doing right here is basically urging them on and saying, you guys do so good in so many things. If we were to convert this into like a modern-day churchism, then I guess what we would say is you guys are such good little Christians. You go to church every Sunday, you do all the programs, you have all of the things, and it's fantastic and everything. But in this one area, you're not meeting what God is calling us to do. You don't have this heart that you see out of other people who have far less than you. This is where you start having this idea of what it means to have a relationship with Jesus Christ is not simply doing a good thing. It's not simply doing a nice thing. And honestly, it's not even the size of the impact that you think that you can make. It's having the heart that says, despite my own limitations, I will still go. Despite what I don't have, I will still give. Despite what I don't think I'm capable of, I will still do. It's allowing God to be able to enable you to do the things that you don't think that you can do that makes you an individual that has a relationship with Christ. If all a Christian was was an individual who said really nice, pretty things and was kind to people, then every Walmart greeter out there would be a pastor. But that's not what the Bible calls us to be. It calls us to be something that's bigger than just what can be seen or experienced. So I think this is something that ends up being very important for us to take away when we look at the church of Corinth. We have to understand that our, our amount of much or about amount of very little doesn't actually impact what we are called to do. Our own limitation shouldn't be the thing we use as the gatekeeper to decide whether we're going to move forward with something. You know, I mentioned here at the very beginning that 
uh, when we were doing announcements that one of the things somebody popped up and asked me about was uh, I kind of heard through the grapevine that at our home church location, some of them were talking afterwards, and uh, they were, one of the people said, you know, I've always wanted to do like a, like a community Thanksgiving kind of thing. I want to do this meal, and just like something for, you know, I don't even know exactly what it would be. Like, it, it was just like a vague idea. And it was the kind of thing that, uh, you know, I was... I was sitting here thinking, I, I empathized a lot when I was um, uh, passing some text messages with, with Lisa Shields because, uh, you know, Lisa and I very much come from like the same kind of mentality with a lot of this stuff where, you know, kind of brought up more in terms of like, hey, you're going to do a big thing like this. Maybe you put a little bit of planning into this. Maybe you think about it and you have some way of how you're going to put it together and you have roles and all that kind of stuff. But the reality is that when we look at why it is we're so conditioned to serve that way and to give that way and to do that way, it's because if we're being honest with ourselves so often, we are afraid of our own failure. We're afraid of the fact that we think we're not going to be enough and that we're not going to be capable of doing something, so we'll hold back on doing something that we feel God may have put on our heart, not realizing the fact that that's kind of the whole point. Kind of the whole point of God putting something on your heart is to say, I'm going to call you to do something that you don't think you can do because that way you can understand that you didn't do it through your abilities and through your wealth and through your capabilities. You did it because I enabled you to do it. That's the whole point. That's how you see the glory going to God and not the glory going to Shelby or Joseph or the Well Community Church or any other group. That's how you ensure that the glory goes to God and to God alone. And that if it fails, it's because, you know what? It's fine. It was never destined to succeed in the first place. And so, you know what? It just kind of is what it is. And if it works, then to God be the glory. And that's how that's supposed to work. That's how we want our hearts to be oriented and how we want to be motivated to act and to do in our own lives. So where do we get this connection between thankfulness and generosity? Well, a lot of it comes from that motivation I was just talking about. When we understand that our sense of generosity doesn't come from a place of what we think we can do or what we think we can give, then suddenly what we're starting to do is we're starting to understand that our sense of generosity doesn't come from any work that we've accomplished, from anything that we can take on as a point of pride. Instead, our sense of generosity comes from understanding all the things that God has done and that God will do in our lives. It comes from an attitude of thankfulness that we have. When we are thankful for what God has, what we are doing is we are understanding and recognizing that God has done and that God will do in our lives. And so because God will do and has done in our lives, it means now I can't help but want to be able to share this with other people. How could I not? If I love other people, then I'm going to want to share with them these, these little glimpses and tastes of glory that I feel like I've been able to taste and experience. So just one chapter later in 2 Corinthians, you see Paul talk about this as well, this connection between thankfulness and generosity. And as you read this, I want you to hear this thing that in the, home, the video we put together for the home church, I kind of worded as the, the cycle of generosity and thankfulness. I want you to hear how God kind of put all this together in this like just kind of divinely clever way. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 12 through 15, that's where we're at. It says this, This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourself, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ. And for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Now, when you look in there, this is the cycle that you end up seeing, is that 
And it starts out with the fact that there, there's an opportunity for us to be generous. Whether we've sought it out or it's presented itself, we'll get past that. There's an opportunity for us to be able to help. So we help. Because we help, now you've, you've shown a blessing to another individual. And this other individual now is overwhelmed with thanks. Because they're overwhelmed with thanks, they end up themselves, you know, understanding that I am blessed. And so I have this attitude of thanksgiving. And now I myself want to sit here and pray blessings onto other people, onto the person who blessed me. And so they sit here and out of their own sense of now either spiritual or physical generosity, they now give or they now do or whatever it is they pray for us. And then we or other individuals now end up being recipients of that person's generosity and they themselves are now thankful and it goes on and on and on and on and on. So, it, you know, when I look at the Bible, I can't help but look as, at God as kind of this divine engineer or architect of all of these things that have occurred in creation. Very few things do we look at in the Bible that we say, you know what, that is just totally random and I don't see at all why God could have possibly have wanted to do things that way. There's almost always something we can latch on to to say, you know, I, I, maybe I can kind of see what's going on there. And right here is a great example of where you can see how God built these concepts of generosity and thankfulness to work together with one another. So what ends up happening? The reason why it becomes so bad when we become miserly, when we start withholding either our shekels or our time or our energy or our interest or anything else is because what we're doing is it's not just a matter of saying I have an opportunity to do good and so I'm not doing it, which we've covered in past sermons in James. That's not good. Uh, it, but it's not just that. It's that God built this machine of creation to work a certain way. He built these certain concepts, these certain attitudes in our lives, these certain things that we see around us to work together with one another so that his character could be reflected in his creation in the same way that the artist is reflected in every piece of art that, that, that he or she is responsible for. And so when we sit here and we get in the way of these feelings of generosity and thankfulness, what we're really doing is we're really sit, sitting here and throwing a wrench into the gears of this thing that God created. This is where we start seeing that, like, it's not just a matter of, oh, I need to be better and I need to be nicer and I need to be more of a doer as much as it is that if I love God and if I want to sit here and not just be an observer of God's grace and an observer of God's glory and an observer of what God is doing, creating this masterpiece of creation and renewal, and I want to actually be a doer in it, then I have to be somebody who enables things to work in this, this cyclical way that he's created it. I want to be generous because I want to bless other people. I want to be a part of that blessing because I know what it feels like to be blessed by God. And because I know what it feels like to be blessed by God, by whether it's material things or whether it's, it's family, whether it's emotions, whatever it is, then I know how amazing that feels. And because I love other people, I want other people to feel that way and hoping that if they get to experience that, that blessing, that they too will be just as excited and that they'll go, this is amazing. I have to be able to share this with other people and then they'll turn around and they'll share it with other people and so on and so forth. This is what we're called to do. And you can see that in this way, what we're not sitting here focusing on is necessarily the success of our planning and our strategies or our 21-step processes or anything like that. Instead, what we're doing is saying, if there's an opportunity to be generous, if there's something that I've been able to seek out and that I've been able to find, some, something I've been presented to be able to help another individual, then it's not just something where I should be approaching it with the attitude of saying, well, let me see what I can do. Instead, what I want to be doing is looking at it and saying, 
okay, I, I'm going to do as much as I possibly can and maybe even more so. I want to be able to have a sense of generosity that people look at and say, there's no physical reason for this. There's nothing to be gained from this for this individual. Because if they see that, then maybe, hopefully, the impression that a lost and hurting world will have will not be to look at me or to look at that individual or, or that organization and say, you know what, they're very nice people and they're very generous. But instead will be to say, I don't own it. I, I cannot reconcile or make sense why they would act that way aside from the fact that they have something that's different, that they have a relationship with something that motivates them to go beyond what actually may make sense to the rest of the world. That should be the calling that we all strive for, and it should be what we end up seeing when we read these examples of this extreme level of generosity in the Bible. And so the challenge for us is this, as we sit here and we go into not just this season, but as we continue going on throughout the year, are we actively looking for opportunities to be able to serve other individuals? Are we looking for opportunities to be able to, to help people? Uh, are, are we seeking out the hurting? Are we seeking out the lost? Are we going to the people that have been forgotten or rejected either by the church or by society or whoever and then trying to reach those individuals? Or are we sitting here hiding behind our brick walls in our castle and waiting for some beggar to come up to the doors and say, can I please have a loaf of bread? Are we actively trying to help the lost creation around us so that they can see a glimpse of that blessing? And then when I have that opportunity, am I giving according to the way it makes sense to me? Am I using my intellect and my reason to sit here and say, well, you know, I think maybe I can spare this or maybe I can spare that and still have the proper contingencies to do the things that I want to do? Or am I seeing a need and then saying, I'm excited to reach out and meet the need of this individual? Whether that means money, whether that means time, whether it means effort, whatever it is. Do I have a legitimate enthusiasm for helping and bringing relief to my fellow man? This is what we see in the life of Jesus Christ. An individual who didn't just merely sit back in a synagogue for his entire ministry and wait for curious individuals to come up to him and say, I want to hear about this different life that you have. But yet an individual who actively went to areas that it made no earthly sense for him to go to and then saying, I want to bring you a better life. I want to bring you relief and show you that there is a better way of doing things. I want to show you this glimpse of creation and the glory that my Father will one day bring here on earth. And I am here actively coming to you to show it. So as Christians, are we reflecting something lesser? Are we reflecting that same attitude of Christ, willing to go to the hard places and into the difficult places in order to bless others? Let's pray. Father God, as we sit here and we think about our, our attitudes towards giving, especially with the season, we pray that we wouldn't just simply be cynically looking for opportunities for people to come up to us and to, to, you know, for us to be able to throw a couple of nickels in a bucket or something like that. Help us to have hearts that actually want to actively seek out the hurting, that want to actively seek out the lost. Help us to be able to, to bring some kind of blessing to the individuals who maybe feel like they haven't been blessed any other way. And God, as we sit here and we think about the way that we serve other individuals, help our motivations to be pure. Help them to not be self-serving and help us to have the sense of conviction that whatever kind of praise or thanks is directed towards us is really all about you. Help us, God, to be more than what this world expects. 
and help us be something a little bit more like what you showed us when you sent your son here on earth. We pray all these things in your son's precious holy name. Amen.